This is the Expecting Aerialist, and now part of the Digitant Podcast Network. How's it going, guys? Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, before we start in the show notes, uh, Rolled Out uh, has begun. So every week, live 60-minute virtual rolling class with me. We're going to start out with the day and time of Sundays, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, all you need is a tennis size ball and a foam roller to start, uh, Matt, if you want underneath you, or I'm just on my carpet, uh, in the comfort of my own home, you're going to see the bean as well. And, uh, just join me for class, uh, go to the show notes to sign up. So excited to see you in person. We work on our aerial imbalances, but also just everything. I'm going to do a full body, especially the first couple ones. We're going to do a full body situation. So anyone, anyone, anyone can benefit from this work. And also if you just don't have it carved out in your day, you know, it's, it's really a a great way to stay accountable to taking care of your body. All right. So this is part two with Asia Laviolette. Uh, she is a speech therapist. Um, she is currently in the third trimester of her second pregnancy. You can check out last week's episode. If you haven't yet, we talk all about the mental gymnastics it took um, to really change her expectations around um, having a C-section. She thought she was going to have a natural birth, vaginal birth, and it didn't, it didn't, uh, turn out that way. So we talk about how hard that was for her mentally and emotionally while she was in labor. And um, today we are going to talk about speech for for toddlers. So she's going to give some tools for if your toddler, um, you know, needs a little bit of help. It can be really stressful for parents not reaching those quote unquote milestones. And we also talk about uh, bilingual from infancy or if you don't bring the second language until later, uh, I talk a little bit about my family and my bilingual family, although I am not bilingual, my parents are. So yeah, we get into all of that. All right, guys, let's get started. Here's my question about the speech pathology thing. Okay, yeah. so does this bother you when people say, Oh, she's two and a half. Wow, she's she's really talking really well. You know, she's like, wow, she's talking better than other two and a half year olds. Like, what is that about? Oh, like comparing? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? I actually, I don't really hear that a lot. Maybe people don't want to tell me because they think then I'll evaluate the child and disagree or something. Yeah, maybe it's because it's your <laughs> profession. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah. But as in terms of comparing kids to others, there's such a wide range of what is normal. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's like, there's no one way there is. However, if you, if there is a child and uh, it's really obvious that compared to almost every single other child that they're around, that's their age. If it's really, really obvious that their speech and language skills are not anywhere close to the other ones then it's something to be concerned about. And, and early intervention is super helpful. And uh, sh- that should be 
should be addressed for sure. So, okay. So if, if a parent comes to you with a kid who is now three years old and doesn't want to talk a lot, mm-hmm. how, how do you get that kid? Like the, the first steps of getting that kid pushing, like kind of guiding into the right direction. Yeah, that's a really good point. So a lot of it, the most important thing at that age when they're, you know, like less than when they're three years old or less is parent education and giving parents strategies to use at home because kids that age are not going to learn from, they're not going to learn much from me seeing them for half an hour once a week and doing language enhancing activities. They need it incorporated into their everyday life. And it's actually not that it's not as hard as you would think. Once you know what to do, everything you do all day, you don't have to do anything different. Just everything that you would naturally do all day with your child, you just tweak it a little bit so that it's really strongly encouraging language. Okay. What's an example of like a thing that a tool that you give parents? Um, A big one is to wait. Waiting is really hard. And sometimes if you wait, your child will surprise you and be, and be motivated to use a word, or even if they're not there yet, use a gesture or even just a sound. Um, For example, you know, most parents, they're, they're good parents. They're in tune with what their child wants. You know what your child wants before they ask for it. If your child has a language delay, make them ask for it. So you know that they want, yeah, you know that they want a cookie. Don't just go give it to them. Just wait and see what they'll do. And then if they won't do anything at first, so you give them the words to do it. So if they're looking at a cookie and you can see they're looking at the cookie and you know that they want it, instead of just saying, oh, here you go, here's a cookie, you can um, wait and look with them. And then you can say, cookie? And you hold up the cookie and you hold it real close to your face. And then you say the word again, cookie, you want a cookie. And yes, you do talk like that. with (laughs) (laughs) And and big mouth movements. And then you give them the cookie. (laughs) And then you do it over and over and over and over again. And, And eventually you wait longer and longer and they will do something. Even if at first it was just pointing or... Or if they're saying, or if they go like goo, and you're like, yeah, cookie, then they're like, yeah, I said cookie. And then eventually it'll get closer to the word. And then eventually they'll be like, hey, can I have a cookie? (laughs) I feel like your personality goes really well with your job. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is that your son I hear in the back, or is that a dog, a fur baby? Uh, The dog is being quiet right now, but my son is in the background. He usually naps at this time, but I could tell he wasn't tired. So he's watching Gold Rush and playing with his toys. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, here's another question I have. I've always had this question. I love that you're here because I'm like, I need a speech pathologist to tell me this. So is it worth it if you want your kid to be bilingual to start them at infancy, even though it might create some... Uh, delays in them learning either okay so this is a really good question because I'm bilingual okay (laughs) yeah I am uh my dad's family is French Canadian okay and um my dad no 
the people in his family don't really speak French anymore, but it was still important for my parents that I learned French. So I went to, I grew up in like a completely English speaking household, but um, here in Canada, we have completely French schools. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's entirely French, everything from like, when you walk in the door, the receptionist only speaks French to you. Um, phone calls home, notes home to parents are all in French. Um, actually, we would get punished for speaking English outside of English class, but that's a whole other story. Um, so I'm obviously a bit biased in terms of thinking bilingualism is amazing, and I'm planning on doing the same thing with my son and sending him to a French school. Um, so what, yeah, what their research shows is that kids who grow up, um, and this is talking about infants, actually. So infants who are exposed from birth to two different languages will take longer to speak than other kids. And this is because they've got double the input coming in. So when you think about language acquisition um, from birth, it's important to think about receptive versus expressive language. So receptive language is the understanding of language. And expressive language is, of course, using words or even gestures count um, to be able to speak or communicate expressively. In order to use language expressively, you have to have receptive language. So a child cannot use a word that they don't understand. Um, a child cannot, yeah, you have to have this foundation of understanding before you can move to the next step, which is to use language. So with bilingual infants, they're getting double the input. So their um, receptive language is taking a lot longer to build because there's so much more. There's double the amount that they have to learn. Um, so it takes them a lot longer to to actually speak and actually get that expressive language out. So it might seem like they're language delayed, but a bilingual child would never get a diagnosis of a language delay just based on the fact that they are um, not, well, no, it's hard to, okay, I'm not explaining this properly. You would, a, it's more complex to diagnose a bilingual child um, as language delayed because you have to take into account the two languages. It can be perfectly fine for most of them to be quote-unquote delayed in their expressive language milestones um, because it can a lot of it can be attributed to, um, to the bilingualism. And you have to kind of dig deeper to see whether or not there's a real language delay there. So that being said, eventually, they, a bilingual child, as long as there's no other issues present and not a true language delay present, should be kept, caught up to other peers and um, be on the same page as them in terms of their language abilities. So it does kind of like, in the end, which is usually about school age. Right. It kind of all equals out. Well, also, is it even possible to, like, if you don't start from infancy with two languages, mm -hmm. one is going to be weaker, right? So this is the yes. only way to have them completely even in a way. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 
So interesting. So my parents speak a dialect of Chinese that is not Mandarin or Cantonese. And it is something that I have always been able to, to some degree, understand what they're saying, Mm -hmm. but never be able to do the expressive part of it. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you'll always be able to understand way more than you can express. So did you grow up? um, What was your exposure to it like growing up? Well, it was just like in the household, but, mm-hmm. uh, like I can't understand what the beginning of, or, or the end of a sentence is. I understand okay. the, the, um, if my mom says in her language, time to eat dinner, there's also mm-hmm. food on the table already and it was time for dinner. Right. So right. I would make a, an assumption that those words meant time for dinner, but it could also mean the food's hot. It could also mean, uh, where are you child? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I associate it with like, okay, it's time to eat. Interesting. Yeah. Can you still understand it now as an adult? In the same ways. Like my, my mom will say something and the context of it will make sense and it'll make sense to me. It's not like She's speaking another language that I've never heard in my life, but I certainly don't know what the verbs are, what the, what the nouns are, what the pronouns are, like the sentence structure, nothing of that. It just is all, it's, it's like, okay, I kind of understand what she means. And I feel like as a child, that's how you learn any language, right? It's like associations. Mm -hmm. It's not like, then you learn sentence structure when you go to school, you learn what, exactly right? Yeah, that would make sense that you didn't, understand the beginning and ending of a sentence because you never had to make a sentence yourself. You're just hearing it in whatever context is being presented to you. You know, also like if I was in trouble, she would use the same grouping of words, right? Okay. <laughs> and I'd be like, ah, I'm in trouble. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. like I knew what she exactly said to me. Okay. And then of course, English is is the spoken language to us and like in the world. Right. Um, but they still, my parents still speak that language to each other whenever they're That's having so cool. casual conversation. Okay. And it's funny because my daughter, she's two and a half and I don't think she's ever questioned the fact that when she's on FaceTime with them or when she's with them, when they're talking to each other, it's not English. So, oh, interesting. so that's really interesting to me, like how her brain takes that. Because obviously mm-hmm. it's not English. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not even a romantic language, a romance language. So it's like completely off the map. Right. So we'll see as she gets older, if she starts to have those same associations. This is fascinating to me. That, that is super interesting. And so what I've done so far with my son is I wanted to expose him from birth, but I don't really speak French much anymore. I do. I have a couple of French clients at work and I occasionally, I occasionally, you know, meet someone who's French and we speak French, but I really don't use it regularly. So I, I just, I set bath time as a time when I would speak French to him. Just because it's something that happens every day. It's part of the routine and it's pretty easy to talk about body parts in French (laughs) while you're washing the baby. So I was doing that for a while from when he was really little. But then once he started being able to really communicate with me, I found myself switching to English because he didn't understand what I was saying in French. So um, I still try to speak to him, but 
it's now it's like he's he's old enough that like he actually needs he's at an age where he really needs to understand what I'm saying to him so if I say it in French he doesn't understand and then it leads to problems got it because then he doesn't know what I'm telling him to do or so like I'm still doing it a bit but I find that when he was a little tiny baby I would just you know, I would speak French him the whole time in the bath and like, it was really easy. And now I'm finding it challenging to, to kind of keep it up. But, um, I didn't have any exposure to French at home. And then I went to school at age four in a completely French environment where no one spoke English to me and I somehow survived and (laughs) did learn it. So definitely my, like you were saying, English will always be, even if I was still speaking French regularly, English would always be my stronger language by far. But I, I did, I did pick it up and I did, I was able to spend kindergarten to grade eight in a completely French environment with no issues. So. So the other kids, when you were at that age, were they in the same boat as you or did they all speak French already? Some weren't, some weren't. Okay. So it was a mix. That probably helped, right? Yes, because even though we weren't supposed to speak English, definitely like the kids from English families would speak English like at recess and stuff like that. (laughs) Okay, so you didn't feel like it was like so terrible, torturous. No, and and I don't remember not understanding it. Like I don't remember starting kindergarten and having no clue what people were saying. Like I, I don't have that memory at all. Okay. Like that must have been what it was like, but I don't remember it. Do you believe that some people are have a proclivity for language and others just don't? Absolutely. I mean I'm a speech pathologist, so obviously I have a proclivity for language and it um yeah, in school, I was always much stronger at, at reading and writing than I was at math and science. And um, in my elementary school, it would happen. It wasn't uncommon for some of the kids from English-speaking families to reach, like, grade three or grade four and realize that the French system was not for them and that it was adding an extra layer of difficulty that was not beneficial for them at that point and they would switch to English school. Right, because learning like math it, with the French teacher was just like added one more thing. It was making it exactly. so much harder, right? Okay. Yeah, so which is fine for some kids and then other kids, they just, they're falling too far behind and, and their parents and teachers think, okay, let's remove one barrier. Let's remove the language barrier. So if you were, if uh, how many languages do you speak? Just the two. So yeah. if you were like, <laughs> If you had to learn Chinese right now, yeah, would it be on the spectrum of everybody in the world having to learn that language? Would you have an easier time to learn it because you have a proclivity in general towards that type of learning? Oh, that's super interesting. Um, I would say, okay, if I think about like me trying to learn it versus my husband trying to learn it, I feel like like I would have an easier time. Yeah, I do feel like I would have an easier time because I do think I have a proclivity for it. And I also do think <laughs> I'm that- like, listen, I'm like thinking about editing this and how I'm going to edit some of those banging noises out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I have, I have a lot of, uh, what's the word? I feel you. 
I mean, she's doing really good right now, but it's not always the case. So, yeah. Um, oh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I would have an easier time because I have a proclivity for it. And also because of my my education in speech pathology and in my bachelor was in linguistics, I understand how languages work. So I could look at it from like an analytical perspective as well. Right. Like a structural a structural perspective. Right. Exactly. I mean, I kind of, I kind of relate that to like a musician, like there are some musicians who have to read music and there are some who just are the music. Like my, my dude is a musician and he, he just makes it. There's no, like, it's, it's part of his language. Um, it's part of his language. And for me, movement is that. But if you threw me into a situation where I had to learn a language right now, mm-hmm. it would be like some of my beginners trying to do aerial. Like, would not. <laughs> like, it's going to be somebody's like, um, like I have a proclivity towards movement. Like, if if I tried to explain mm-hmm. to some, and of course I have the education and the experience, but even as a kid, like I could create something with movement, and okay. I cannot do the same thing with language. Interesting. Or in, or musical instruments cannot like try, yeah. like making it a part, like just connecting with that interest instrument in that way. Um, so I, I feel like language, music, and movement are in the very like comparable things. And um, I agree. Yeah, it's very interesting to see where people lie, like where their proclivities lie, and then taking that and like really guiding them towards something that they would have ease at because why make life harder and do something for like my brother got an engineering degree, but he hates math. Oh, really? Why do that to yourself? Like, that's what I want to know. Like why do that to yourself? Like kind of, I I don't know. I I think finding, finding something that you're not just good at, but that you have a, uh, what, what's that? Like you have a feeling towards, you have a, like a passion or or like an, like an innate ability. Already. Yeah. Like an innate, like your brain works that way, you know? Yes, exactly. So, oh my God, see, this is why, and also because it would take more work to plan more, but this is why yeah. I don't plan anything. Cause it goes so well. It, like it always. I'm so glad. I was a little bit nervous. I was, I asked you like, what should I, how should I prepare? And you're like, don't do anything. <laughs> That made me nervous, <laughs> but no, this is going much better. <laughs> well, I tell all of my guests, like, because at least 75% of them are like, what do you need me to study on? Like, do you have any, yeah. like, email me questions? I'm like, no, uh-uh, yeah. we don't need to do any of that. And everybody's like, why, what? And I'm like, no, trust me, it's going to be fine. And it always is fine because um, it's really just like, like, I want to be curious. Like, I don't want the answers to your questions ahead of time. Like, I want to like know, and I want to be curious about what you're telling me. And then also just like, ask you a question right after that. Like, if I were to go down like a list of questions that I had planned to ask you, it would have been a completely different conversation. Totally. (laughs) Are you, are you ready? She's like, I don't want this conversation anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Asia, Thank you so yes. much for joining me. And um, yeah, I, I really feel like this topic too is great because I haven't had a speech pathologist on. And I think a lot cool. of parents out there, a lot of mamas will uh, love, love to hear this side too. Yeah. 
I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, I, I have to, I want to end by telling you that I love your podcast so much. And I, when I saw it, so I, um, I saw you posted it like a while ago in the Ariel Mama's Facebook group. And I was like, oh my God, someone made a podcast for me. This is amazing. (laughs) So you were listening before I asked you to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I started listening. I can't remember when I, like it's a few months ago, I saw it. Um, and I started listening to it, um, from the beginning. So I haven't made it super far through cause you keep having new episodes and all that. Are you but, going um, chronologically or do you jump around? Yes. I'm, I'm going chronologically. That's the way that I, I work. Uh, do I you, is there any guest that stands out to you that, um, I think it was, I think it was the very first or second episode and I can't remember who the guest was, but just when you two were talking about kind of like the identity mm, shift yeah. of being an aerialist versus being a mom, um, because I found that really, really challenging. So I, I, first of all, don't have a lot of friends who are parents. Um, so that can be kind of hard. How, and then how I old also, are you now? I'm, I'm 33. I should have friends that are parents, but I don't. <laughs> well, I am, I am more than a decade older than sh- you. And uh, I just got friends with babies because we're all late over here. <laughs> Your tongue is purple. Did you know that? Go like this. But it, it's interesting because so when I got pregnant the second time, um, I had a harder time with the shift because it's like I had taken so much work to shift back after having my son um, to kind of shift back into being myself again. Like when I got pregnant with this baby, my son was like almost two. So at that point, he's a little bit more independent. I'm working. He can he can be with a babysitter. I can my body has recovered. I can. I can, um, I can leave home after he's gone to bed and I can go see friends and then come back home. And, um, so I, I felt like myself again. So then at the beginning of this pregnancy, I really struggled with, okay, I've got to shift my mindset again. I'm back into primarily mom mode and my regular self is put on hold again. Um, and, and what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, and physically as well, um, not so much about what my body looks like, but what my body can do. Cause it's really important to me as an aerialist, what my body can physically do for me. So to switch back into like, okay, my body is not going to be able to do the things that I want it to do for a while, um, was really challenging for me. And I, I tried to explain it to people. I tried to explain it to to other parents and and my husband and nobody could really relate <laughs> so I thought like oh is this weird that that this is the way that I think about it that I think of pregnancy as like a complete identity shift just pregnancy and like early motherhood you guys are not- and then I listened to your podcast and you guys were saying exactly the same things that I was feeling and oh. I thought oh, okay they get it well <laughs> and I, I 
feel like I talk about it every other every other episode. Yeah. Like I talk about it all the time. And what you're talking about with the second child, I can. That is part of the reason why I don't want to have a second child because yeah. I just got this back. Like I just. Yeah. I'm like, and then you tasted it for such a short amount of time. Yes. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and now it's all over again. But I am, it, I am like really, really excited to to have this second baby, and I'm I'm fully prepared to be back into that mode. But it it took some adjusting, for sure. Oh yeah, I I that's you know I give it to you, you guys who are doing this a second time so quickly, um, like. I, and and then the older child becomes like such so such the older child compared yeah. to the tiny little baby and and she's still my tiny little baby if there was a baby Aww. underneath her she'd be like I'd be like go do everything yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right Asia this was amazing thank you for 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 giving us your time and um thank you. and your story and yeah we appreciate you Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much to Asia. And thank you guys for being here in the show notes. uh, Check out how you can sign up for Roll It Out. I will see you on the mat on Zoom on Sundays. Uh, You can also register for the free mini course on my website. Easy register to the the student portal, super easy. And you can access some free materials there. Uh, And if you're interested in aerial rehab, which is my ground to air progression, meant to be the bridge between physical therapy and aerial class, check out that link. Um, Thank you to Asa Watkins, best baby daddy and sound engineer. And also, if you love hearing the sound of my voice, check out Greener Grass. It's about ordinary people living extraordinary lives with my co-host, Kelly McVeigh. She's my girl from, my girlfriend from growing up. Uh, This week, we have Savannah Miles on the pod, uh, the 2018 Miss Teen Georgia USA. Honor us with a five-star rating, please, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we are now part of the Digitet Podcast Network. Over and out, I will get see you guys next time. This is the Expecting Aerialist.